We hope you enjoy this podcast from Light Church Edithburg. To find out more about us, visit lightchurch.co. Last time I spoke, I spoke on the subject of, of worship um, here. And worship is really our response to what Jesus has done for us. Thank you, for Scott, for sharing around communion, and thank you, uh, worship team. You know, we, we always need to be thankful for those who prepare things for us. It sounds easy, but they put time and uh, effort and change their mind five times, and um, I know what it's like. So let's always, let's always remember that when people share in any way or um, part of the team. So thank you for the worship team and, and for Scott and those who, who do that sort of thing. Now, where was I? I'm talking about worship. Yeah. So last time I spoke uh, that worship is a response, really, for what Jesus has done for us. It's, it's what we do and how we live, and we express it in things like singing and raising our hands and meeting together, having communion, but we also express our worship by how we live. New Testament's big on that, isn't it? Live your life as, a, as an offering. And... Uh, Last time I spoke, I spoke about worshipping in spirit and truth because God seeks those who will worship in spirit and truth. And our spirit, heart, connecting to God's heart and in truth. What does it mean to worship in truth? Maybe with integrity, maybe according to the patterns of of scripture. Have you ever heard someone say, I'm going to worship God my way? That's not a good way to worship. It's not a good way. Worship according to the patterns of the word and it gives us patterns on how we express our worship, singing, clapping, dancing, shouting, uh, kneeling before God. But it's also things like the way you work at your job. Do everything as if you're doing it for the Lord. Then it becomes an act of worship and uh, expressed in our lifestyle. You know you actually be, you become like who you worship or what you worship. When you worship God, you become like God. Whatever has captivated you is what you become like. And uh, whatever has your affection. I think that's what the first commandment's all about. Have no other gods before me, have no other idols before me because uh, um, we might not have statues as in idols, but we can put things, things before God. And they can be people, uh, your car, your house, your career, your, your family even, I suppose, or your kids. They can, they can elevate themselves th- so they almost become an object of worship. And I think everyone worships something. Even a, a staunch atheist wor- worships something. Uh, and it might be their outlook or their career, but we're made to worship and we're made to uh, connect with God. And I'm going to continue that theme today and we're going to skip through, skip through Exodus for a few chapters. We're going to start at chapter 8 and I'm just going to touch down at certain scriptures. Um, Egypt is a, in the Bible is a picture of slavery, I suppose. It's when the children of Israel were under Pharaoh and then he brought them out, went through the Red Sea into the Promised Land, okay? And um, they call it the Exodus. The uh, Egyptians 
um, had them in slavery for about 600 years. So lots of generations. So they had that mentality, you were born a slave and you died a slave. And that was just the way life was. And God heard their cries and he chose Moses. Even though he was imperfect, he killed an Egyptian at one point in time. And uh, God took him out in the wilderness. And at the age of 80, he called him to lead the people. Any 80-year-olds here? Ready for a trip across the desert for 40 years? I love it that God thought the 80-year-old version of Moses was, was more ready than the 40-year-old version of Moses, isn't that? That should give you hope. So we're going to skip through, um, and I want you to notice the words that Moses said to Pharaoh, and then later what Pharaoh said to Moses. So we're going to skip through this, because it talks a lot about worship. And um, I just want you to note some things as we skip through some verses. So Exodus chapter 7, verse 16, and this is Moses. Then he announced to him, this is Moses speaking to Pharaoh, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to tell you to let my people go. Often we've heard that, let my people go. We forget the second part of the phrase. Let my people go so they can worship me in the wilderness. I want you to remember that phrase. Until now you have refused to listen to him. And Pharaoh didn't listen and there was the, the plague of blood. And then, you know, Moses went back to Pharaoh again in 8 verse 1. We read this. Then the Lord said to Moses, go back to Pharaoh and announce to him, this is what the Lord says. Guess what he said? Let my people go so they can what? Worship me. There's a pattern here. There's a reason why he's calling them out. And um, then they had the plague of frogs. And then you get this really strange scripture in the Bible. I think it's really strange. Because did I put um, verse 8? What's the next? Yeah. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and begged, please, plead with the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people and I will let your people go so they can offer sacrifices to the Lord. You set the time, Moses replied. So, so Pharaoh gets to set the time. Tell me when you want me to pray for you and the officials and your people. Then you and your houses will be rid of the frogs. They will remain only in the Nile River. Do it tomorrow, Pharaoh says. Well, I think that's the dumbest scripture in the Bible. You've got a plague of frogs in your house. Tell me when you want to get rid of them. Tomorrow? How about now? I think that's just like, that's just a side thought. Have you ever read that? Any procrastinators here? Don't do it tomorrow. Do it now. Anyway, where were we? Yep. And uh, so Pharaoh agreed, okay. And then he went back on his word again. And then there's, you know, frogs, there's gnats, there's flies. And we go to 8 verse 20. And guess what? Then the Lord told Moses, get up early in the morning and stand in Pharaoh's way as he goes down to the river and say to him, this is what the Lord says. What did he say? Let my people go so they can what? Worship me. We thought this was all about being freed from slavery. Maybe there's a connection about being free and about worshipping God. Then there's a, 
Uh, he went back on his word again. We got more plagues. They got boils and hail and on the livestock. And uh, verse 9, verse 13, we read this again. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and tell him, This is uh, what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says. What does he say? Let my people go so they can worship me. And they got the plague of locusts, okay? And uh, then we skip on to 10, verse 3. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord... The God of Hebrews says, How long will you refuse to submit to me? Let my people go so they can worship me. Bit of a pattern here. Who, who realised that it actually said that all those times? Often, you know, if you watch the Prince of Egypt cartoon, anyone remembers that? The songs, that was a cool movie, wasn't it? Maybe my kids were that small at that time. Lots of singing and dancing. I just remember, Let my people go. I can't remember this part. Anyway, he went back on his word, Pharaoh went back on his word again and finally the most devastating plague came when the firstborn in every family um, died except those where the blood was sprinkled over the doorposts. And Pharaoh finally changed his mind after his own son died and we go to 12 verse 31. Uh, Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night Get out, he ordered. Leave my people. Take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and your herds, as you said, and be gone. But bless, but bless me before you leave. I like that little, little tagline on the end. P.S. Bless me before you leave. Um, and so the story goes, they finally go out to worship, uh, worship God and then they cross the Red Sea. So Moses had a determination to persist Constantly, his request was, let my people go so they can worship me. Worship is pretty powerful. And um, I think worship is connected to our freedom. If something's got a hold over us, we're, it's like we're in slavery to those things. And when we learn to worship God and live a lifestyle of worship, it's a key for becoming free. And your worship will lead you. And that's why it's important what you worship. Many end, end up disappointing because they're really worshipping the wrong thing, the wrong circumstance or a job or whatever it might be, and it doesn't end up in freedom. As you determine to put God first and worship him, it causes freedom in other areas of our life. Now, what I want us to note this morning, we're just going to go back and look at a couple of Pharaoh's responses. So I'm going to give you Pharaoh's advice on worship. Now, the idea is that you don't actually take it, but I want you to see what he says. Because uh, Pharaoh's responses sort of represent a type of thinking that minimises the worship of God, that makes it smaller, that actually opposes our freedom. And I want us to look at what Pharaoh says to Moses in a little bit more detail when he asks um, them to go and worship. 8 verse 25. Did I give you this one? Yep. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron. All right, go ahead and offer sacrifices to God, but do it here in this land. Now, Moses was told to go, I think it was three days' journey, so they're actually out of the land and worship. And, and Pharaoh's advice was, okay, you can worship, but don't take it too far. Don't become a fanatic. I'm going to put it in our language now. 
Um, just do it over there. Don't go all that way over there. Just do it where I can see you, where I can keep control over you, where there's, there's no real freedom. Pharaoh's advice for you about worship is you can worship, but do it within reason. Uh, do it where it's convenient. Don't go overboard. Not too much sacrifice. We're going to read on, verse 26. But Moses replied, that wouldn't be right. The Egyptians detest the sacrifices we offer to our Lord. Look, if we offer sacrifices here where the Egyptians can see us, they will stone us. Well, that's a good reason not to. We must take a three-day trip into the wilderness and to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, just as he commanded. All right, go ahead, Moses replied. I will let you go into the wilderness and offer sacrifices to the Lord, but don't go too far away. He still wanted to have control on, on them. You know, so Pharaoh's advice is, you can worship, but just a little bit. Don't take it too far. Don't go too crazy. Don't draw attention. Just be reasonable. If it's not convenient, don't worry about it. If you need to, you know, you normally meet on Sunday. If you have a, it's your only sleeping day. Be reasonable. Have a sleeping day. Maybe you can get there in a couple of months' time. I think that's Pharaoh's sort of advice when it comes to worship. But when we sort of worship with that mentality, we don't get free from the things that bind us. Pharaoh would say, you can have just a little bit of religion, but not too much. Don't let it consume your life. I know some of you had that said to you when you became Christians. Someone in the family said, well, don't take it too far. Or whatever it might be. Words to that effect. Otherwise, you might just become free from the things that enslave you, inherit the promises of God. Romans 12 verse 1 says, present your bodies, the word, the word means your whole world as a living sacrifice to God, which is, it's not half-hearted worship. That's a radical life change. And uh, when you look at some of the worship described in the Bible, some of it's quite over the top. But when they open the temple, man, it's one heck of a celebration then. When we worship God, it's not about our convenience. It's about a lifestyle. And it's a key from, uh, to being free from slavery to the things that are bound us. Now, Pharaoh's got some more advice to Moses. You read on a little bit further. After some plagues, we've got the boils and the hail and the the darkness and the locusts, um, verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 9. Thanks, Jeremy. Moses replied, We will all go, young and old, our sons and daughters, and our flocks and herds. We must all join together in celebrating a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh retorted, The Lord will certainly need to be with you if I let you take your little ones. I can see through your evil plan. Never. Only the men may go and worship God. So Pharaoh's saying, okay, you can go, but don't take your kids with you. Okay? This is Pharaoh's advice about worship. You, but not your whole family. Don't teach your kids how to worship. Don't give them an example on how to worship. Don't drag your kids to church when they don't like it. That's child abuse. It'll put them off. Church, uh, don't take Pharaoh's advice. We need to lead our families in worship. 
I've seen many people have a, an encounter with God and get busy with life, then think their kids will somehow live off the faith of their parents. They usually last one generation and then each generation needs to set their heart anew on God. Um, it's because no pattern of worship was established in their family. I'd encourage you to get your kids to church. You know, it's going to be boring for them one day and good the next. But one day, in the middle of all that, they're going to have an encounter with God. And you don't know when that's going to be. And there's something about, you know, just committing to that. Samuel um, was in the house of God with a priest called Eli. And Eli wasn't a great priest. But the fact Samuel was there, God visited him and he heard from God. And he became a great prophet. Now, uh, I don't know if he wanted to be there. But the fact that he was in the house of God, he heard the voice of God. Pharaoh said, okay, you can go, but don't take your kids with you. Thanks for the advice, Pharaoh. He's got some more advice, one more. So first it was, don't be too extreme, you know, not too radical. His second part of advice was, don't take your little ones. He's got some more advice in 10 verse 24. Finally, Pharaoh called Moses, go and worship the Lord, he said, but leave your flocks and your herds here. You may even take your little ones with you, but not the farm. No, Moses said, you must provide us with animals for sacrifices and burn offerings to the Lord our God. Our livestock must go with us too. Not a hoof can be left behind. I like that. Maybe that can be a, a saying in your house. Not a hoof will be left behind. We must choose our sacrifices for the Lord our God from among these animals. And we won't know how we are to worship the Lord until we get there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart once more and he wouldn't let them go. Now Pharaoh says, okay, you can go, you can take the kids, but don't take your herds and your flocks. Now you might not have herds and flocks, some of you do. But let, let's, you know, what was that in their world? Well, it's their money, it's their resources, it's their livelihood, isn't it? It's, it's their wealth, let's call it that. And uh, you could worship as long as, long as Pharaoh still had your money. <laughs> that was the deal. Let's, let's put it that way. As long as their money was still under the influence of Egypt. Um, you know, Jesus said, where, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And Pharaoh knew if he still had their livestock and their, their wealth, he really still had them, I suppose. Now, Pharaoh says uh, uh, things like this. You can go to church occasionally, but for goodness sake, don't invest too much, you know, into it. Who's heard this? You know, the church is always after your money. Has anyone heard that? I'll tell you who's after your money. The electricity. Food land. The tax man. Your footy club. Everyone's after your money. It's not, it's not about that at all. In fact, we rarely speak about money. We probably don't speak enough about money here. What's your finances got to do with worship? You know, true worship is physical, it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's intellectual, it's financial, and our giving is an act of worship. Simple as that. And uh, we need to understand um, what, what this whole means in the context of worship. 
it's so important when we commit our life to God, we also commit our, our wealth, I suppose, as well. There's so many people who trust God with their eternity, but not with their money. I think it's interesting, isn't it? My, my rest of my eternity are put into to your hands, but I can't trust you with that part of my life. It's really dumb when you think about it, really. It doesn't make much sense. I think where our treasure is, that's where our heart is also. So that's why God, you know, it's important that he's Lord over every part of our life. And um, it's where the true heart is revealed. I've heard it read, or said over the years, many times, that our true priorities and our worship even is reflected in two places. It's in our calendar and it's on our bank statement. <laughs> that's, it's just like it. You know, what it's important to you, it's in, your, it's in your diary, you do that. What's important to you, you invest in. Simple as that. And uh, we say one thing, but when you look at that, that's, that's how you do the audit. And uh, when we come, when it comes to money and worship, what we give, our attitude is really probably the most important thing. And there's lots of principles about giving and tithing. And, but I think the most important principle, as far as I'm concerning, is giving is we hear God and we obey the voice of God. Simple as that. When God says something, be generous to that person, we do it. And we just hear the voice of God and we obey. And um, I think that's the most important thing. And, you know, when you sow, you, you always reap. But our giving should never be a way to try and impress God. It's a response to his goodness. And your giving is not an investment strategy. Well, I read the scripture, if I give 10%, the Lord will open the blessings of heaven. So I'm investing in and I expect a return. Wrong. This isn't a pyramid scheme. This isn't a, this isn't a bank. It's not like that. And if you're thinking like that, you've got it all wrong. You're not giving out of generosity. You're giving to try and get something. There's something wrong with that. Now, of course, God always, where we sow, we reap. But it can't be a motivation. You still like me? That's all right. Back to our story. Um, so Pharaoh changes his mind again. Finally, after the last plague, Pharaoh said, um, it's that last scripture, I think, Jeremy, I think it's where we were. Verse 31. The very last one. Yeah. The one before that. The one before the last one. That's it. Mero's, uh, Mero, Pharaoh. Sent for Moses and Aaron that night. And this is after the last plague. Get out. Leave my people. Take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and your herds with you. So he said, I don't care. Just get out of here. But bless me before you leave. So my encouragement for you today is don't worship, you know, to Pharaoh's pattern. He's got an agenda. And his agenda was to keep them in slavery, to serve his needs. And some, we've got to realise that there's a different sort of spirit in the kingdom of God as there is in the, in the world. I want to encourage you, take your kids along with you, even when they whinge. A day will come when they encounter God. Commit all your will to God, you know, including your, your finances and that, that, 
that sort of thing as well. You know, to finish off, I want to just look at one story in the New Testament about an extravagant worshipper. And uh, it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, four Gospels. Talks about an extreme act of worship. A woman poured perfume on the feet of Jesus. In some accounts it says she washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. Um, we're not too sure if it's exactly the same account, in it, but it, it, it probably is. The lady could have been Mary Magdalene, we're not too sure. But this woman was quite extreme in her offering to God. It was actually unreasonable and over the top. Uh, we see her coming into the room, she goes straight to Jesus and she washes his feet. So it's the job of the lowest servant to wash the feet. And she didn't worry about what anyone thought but Jesus. It says she let her hair down, which that's a cultural no-no. When you lived in those times, you don't let your hair down in front of guys. That sends the wrong message. Okay? That's what you do when you're on the streets trying to get customers, right? You don't do that. Um, so there's a cultural no-no. And they're a gasp. She washes his feet with her tears. Jesus receives it. And uh, this probably wasn't a well-respected woman. She poured perfume on his feet. It says alabaster, a, a vial of alabaster. Anyone ever seen one of them? It's sort of shaped like that. And it's white and it's full of perfume. And it didn't have maybe banks and things. And these represented wealth. And they had a seal on top. And once the seal was broken, the whole thing had to be used. It wasn't like your Chanel number 12, whatever it is. Wrong number? Six, okay. And where you can screw the top back on. Once you poured it out. Now, it was identified, one of the disciples said, do you realise that was worth a year's wages? So what's that for you? Cody, that would be about 400000 for you, wouldn't it? Painter? Maybe not. I don't know. What's a year's wages worth? It depends where you are, but it's still a lot, isn't it? And so this woman poured it on Jesus. This thing that's worth so much. Some people, commentators, think it could have been like she had it for her dowry, you know. So she might have given up her chance to maybe secure her future. Being married wasn't just finding the nice guy then. It meant you had someone to look after you. Um, she poured this on his feet. And she was criticised big time by others. Judas, out of all people, said, we could have sold that and given it to the poor. He wanted to sell it, but he didn't want to give it to the poor. You know. He was, they were challenged by what this woman did. But Jesus accepted it. So that's, we know it's true worship. Extreme. He actually said it helped him prepare for the cross. Anointed him. Wow. And, um, it was like the Father in heaven organised it for Jesus to demonstrate how important what Jesus was about to do. And a few, only a few stories are recorded in every gospel, and this is one. And Jesus said, actually, of this woman in this event, whenever the gospel is preached, you need to tell them about this woman so she's part of it. Did you know that? She, he, that was one of his commands about the gospel. I thought the gospel was the four spiritual laws. Well, actually, no, somehow it involves this. You might need to increase your understanding of what you think the gospel is. 
And it says, as a result, the fragrance filled the whole room. You know, you ever walked into one of those places and it's either good or bad and the fragrance fills the whole room? Worship poured out to God in a heartfelt way does something. It changes the atmosphere. And this, this is what happened in this place. Um, she gave it all. Pharaoh wouldn't like this. <laughs> she gave her all. She gave her best. She didn't have a backup plan. She didn't worship God half-heartedly, that's for sure. She gave, you know, it was a, a, a physical act. It was an act of her giving her wealth. It was sort of considered outrageous, I suppose. And I just want to encourage you to pour your life out and worship to God. And I reckon this woman would have somehow, she experienced freedom. It was, you know, it was about her being free from maybe the past life, about being free from being slave to those things, the, those patterns in her world. There's something about being free. Uh, I think the act of worship does two things. One, it says thank you. And two, it just keeps us walking in freedom. We're just going to sing a song. It's a song called New Wine.